you know, we kind of had a show like this, but it was with someone who started it. So I'm hoping that Carolyn is watching. And Brian actually had a had had an experience with it. And now he's like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> so we're really trying to, you know, figure out, you know, where you guys stand with that. Do you think or do you feel that this should happen in that way? And Carolyn, I hope that you're watching so that you can, you know, chime in mm -hmm. and give your give your um two cents on this matter. So Brian, why don't you, you know, explain to everybody okay. what happened? So again, hopefully this is going to be a really good conversation. So I hope people are coming with, you know, questions and comments and responses to topics that we'll be covering. So the first thing I want to do is a bit of housekeeping. Um, I can foresee some Me Tooism, um, especially with people watching this on the demand version, not necessarily live. So I just want to clarify a few things. I, first of all, I just want to say that enslaved Africans their history is completely different than any other people in this country. And that is not dismissing the pain suffered by Native Americans, Norte Americanos throughout the southern states and the west coast, Chinese in the 19th century, Japanese internment. I know a lot of people have suffered in this country over the, you know, over the centuries, but no one, no one has had their identity stripped from them in the way that Africans had their identity stripped from them, even their names. Not a soul. So, yes, as I said, I can appreciate a lot of people have had some dark and, and awful histories in this country. But and in this, this is not going against those histories. You no, know? it isn't. The, the thing is, is that we have to acknowledge what we need to acknowledge. And the bottom line is, is that these things did happen at the times that they, you know, these things happened, and some were worse than others. Some were the same as others. Mm -hmm. so. But again, maybe it's another show for another time, but it always seems as though when African-Americans say, you know, say what I just said, that we have a uniqueness in our history. We're told uh, to forget about it. Or other people think as though we're taking it away from the pain that their ancestors suffered. I know the Irish suffered. I know the Italians suffered. I know the Portuguese and the Greeks suffered. But no one has suffered in quite the same way that Africans have. I just need them to stop telling me to forget about it. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about everybody's issues. And I'm so don't ask me to be sympathetic towards yours when you can't even be sympathetic towards mine. That is yeah. my overall thing. I'm sympathetic to everything. But do not come to me and tell me to stop. Don't tell me to stop. Like, that's. Yeah, that's another show. <laughs> that's so another show. <laughs> probably the first 20 minutes of this show is really going to be kind of a general how you research your enslaved African ancestors. Because um, the only way that I could think of to even broach this topic is by Donnie and I talking about two projects, well, one project that I'm working on and then a project that we're both working on. So I'm going to start with the project, the, the Weeping Time. So to cut a very long historical episode short, uh, the Weeping Time was one of the largest sales of enslaved African-Americans in American history. 440 plus people were sold over three days at a racetrack in Savannah, Georgia in 1859 uh, by their enslaver, Pierce Meese Butler, who was having some financial troubles. So where to start with that? 
because one of the reasons why I got involved is an Irish cousin, Martine Brennan, was working on this project as part of her MA thesis. Um, she asked if I'd like to become a part of it. And as usual, ended up finding out that I'm shared DNA with descendants of the Weeping Time people. So somewhere in this history, Donnie and I both have at least one ancestor, but knowing us, probably more than one. It's always more than one. It's always more than one. So while the team has been, the team has been working on this in two different ways. There's a group of people who are researching the, you know, trying to find living descendants of the weeping, the people who were sold during the weeping time. There's another group of us who are looking at the, or the African origin story for their ancestors. So we're working from the past to the present and from the present to the past and universe smiling upon us, some way, shape or form, we're gonna meet in the middle. So I just wanna give you a rough overview of kind of how this is all working. So to identify the actual first generation of enslaved Africans, we had to understand basically how they arrived here, who brought them here, when they were sold, who they were. And again, it's all through the, the, the Butler family. Um, from Pierce Meese Butler, you go back to his grandfather, who was Major Pierce Butler, an Irishman who arrived in, uh, arrived in South Carolina and lived in Philadelphia, had loads of plantations, and very rarely actually stayed in any of them. But he basically enslaved hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, Major, Major Butler was also a slave importer with his wife's in-laws, who were the Izzard, Guerard, um, I'm forgetting one, Middle, and Middleton, Middleton. Middleton family. So one of um, the enslaving partnerships was on his wife's side and involves a man called Colonel Thomas Middleton. And this is all deep in the colonial period. So Middleton went into business with a, with a man called Samuel Braceford. Um, and between them, there was something like they imported 37 different lots of Africans. It's believed that they imported anything from 4,000 to 8,000 Africans during their partnership, which lasted for about 11 years. So to start with, you have to identify the Middleton and Brailford ships that they owned that actually transported Africans across the Atlantic. And they did it in two ways, because of course it couldn't be straightforward. They either brought them straight from Africa to Charleston, South Carolina, or they went to Barbados first and either sold Africans there for provisions or for money and then came to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So if you're gonna be auctioning thousands of enslaved Africans, there has to be an auction. And if there's an auction, there's an advertisement. And I'm gonna show you some examples of this in a, in a couple of minutes. So out of the 30 something ships, I've already found um, about 12 to 15 of them, um, which is already totaling something like 2000 enslaved Africans. So I have the names of the ships, I have the names of the captains, I have a rough idea of exactly how many Africans were actually transported on each one of those ships. And I actually have a sales date and I have a sales location between Charleston and B uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. For any of you who've actually seen a slave ship manifest, they don't have names. It's not like indentured servants who signed a contract in Europe, were on a ship and their name will appear on a ship passenger list or a manifest list. When you look at a, a slave ship's manifest, say for instance, there was 300 slaves. Mm -hmm. It would say 100 men, 100 adult men, 100 adult women, and say 50 boys, 50 girls to make that three, the 300 people. There are no names. There are no ages. 
there's no indication of, they're, they're not even listed individually. It is literally listed as groups of people. So there's no, there's no country. There's no, you don't know where they came from. Eugene Adverb, at least with, with Middleton and Brailsford, they actually tell you where the ship came from. And where they, they tell you where the ship came from. And they from. tell you where the Africans came from. Okay. That is amazing. Yeah. And each one of their adverts, and I'll show you um, an example in a minute. Oh, actually, um, DZ, if you wouldn't mind, can you put up um, image number one? And sorry, I'm not speaking to the ether. DZ is our amazing producer. Awesome producer. <laughs> so and this just kind of, so hopefully you can see that pretty well on your screen. That kind of gives you the steps that I'm talking about. So from the advertisements, we're finding the um, enslaved people auction dates. Whenever you see the, the initials EP, that stands for enslaved people. Then the next thing is to find the actual sales ledgers for the EP auctions, because if they, what I'm thinking is, you have a ship of 300, 350 enslaved Africans. You and gotta you're, keep record of it. Yeah, but if you're Middleton and Brailsford, you're not gonna give them a name. No. Why, are you serious? I can't seriously think that they're gonna sit there and give people temporary names knowing very well that the people who are going to buy them are just going to give them names themselves. Right. So, why, so why bother? So the next part, the really important part, is trying to find the actual sales ledgers for each one of the um, shipments of Africans that came over. And the reason why we need those is to figure out who bought what African okay. um, to be able to pick up the trail. And then universe willing, God willing, that person's record still exists so we can finally start picking up pe people's names. Right. So that's gonna be another database. That's right. gonna be another database to get. So already I've got, I've had to pay for a newspaper subscription for a colonial newspaper to get the names of the ships with the information that I need, then paid another fee to be able to figure out what some of the auction dates were because that was a completely different yeah. database. Um, when it comes to the sales ledgers, now I've written to the South Carolina State Archives to very specific talking about Middleton and Brailsford to find out, have they ever heard of them? Mm -hmm. Do they exist? Do they have them? So I'm waiting to hear back about that. So that could either mean it's, I'm going to have to take a trip to South Carolina. So that's a hotel, that's travel costs, that's food. That's eating. Yeah. Yep. Eating that's food. getting back home. Getting back home. So that's going to be more money. That's if the that's even if the ledgers have survived. And if exactly, because what if it didn't? What, exactly. What if it didn't? So I can think for those Which of you. Which is a huge possibility. Huge pot. It is. You, you know, you can't. Sherman went through Georgia. He, you know, well, South Carolina and Georgia, and people, you know, things right. are getting burnt left, right, and center. That's so right. they may not survive. That's right. So for those of you who are really experienced in doing enslaved research, you're thinking, well, you can find deeds. Well, the deeds are going to be in private hands. Middleton and Brailsford wouldn't have kept copies of them. So they're either going to be in private collections, they're going to be in someone's attic, they may occasionally pop up for sale on, a, on an auction site like eBay. Or worse, they're going to be somewhere where only certain people can, can look at them. Yep. And that, to me, is just absolutely terrible. That's the worst thing. They're going to say it's a part of a certain collection that's not ready yet, and yeah. you never see it, because mm -hmm. collection never gets ready. <laughs> yeah. And again, because we're in private hands, people may not even know the significance of the deed that they have. To them, it's just a slave deed. I can't. I mean, th then there's a significance. 
and, and that's how I look at that. There's no way that you can look at a slave's deed and not think that there's a significance to it. Mm-hmm. So that's just them being. It, I'm 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 sorry ahead of time. That's them being ignorant. But I mean, just bottom line, you there's no way you can look at a slave deed and not think that it is not important. Yeah. It's impossible for you to do that. No, I want to see your face when I say the next bit. I've seen them on sale on eBay for like $350, $400. So have I. That's someone's family That's history. That's somebody's family history that you're selling off to the highest bidder. No different than an auction in itself. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's just... It's still selling them. This is why I get so ang—I not angry. I don't get angry, but I do get annoyed. I get—can I, I say that? Okay, I get, <laughs> get annoyed. I, I get annoyed, <laughs> and and you know it just doesn't make any sense for me that you cannot actually see that what you're doing to these people. Is the same thing that was done to them when they were alive. You're auctioning auctioning them off yet again. Yep. That's what's going on. So yeah, okay. Continue. So this that. So as I said, the next step is also trying to find the names, um, well, the estate records for the people who actually bought the Africans that were transported. Then you could then you can actually start tracing the enslaved people once you have their names to try to find their descendants. So that's a whole other thing. Um, Then we have, in and amongst that, because again, just thinking logically and practically, Brailsford and Middleton would have kept enslaved people for themselves. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have sold the entire shipment of of Africans. They would have, you know, they went to the expense of, well, they brought them here. They were enslavers. They had plantations all over South Carolina and Georgia. So you can't tell me that they wouldn't have taken, I don't know, 50 or 60 for them each for themselves right. to bump up their, their numbers of enslaved exactly. people and then, say, and then sell the rest. Exactly. So in and amongst this, we have to do a lot of research on Thomas Middleton, his entire family, Brailsford, his entire family to figure out where these people are going. And for people who don't get the significant other part of the significance of this, this is the roots of the Gullah. Right. This is the roots of the Gullah Gucci people, at least in, in South Carolina. Then we have the fun of, you know, between the beginning bit and the, the weeping time bit, there were two lots of enslaved Africans who actually went away with the British that were, that were held by both the Middleton and, and the Brailsford family. So Revolutionary War, a whole group of them left with the British for Nova Scotia, War of 1812. Again, a whole other lot went to Nova Scotia. We have to research them because there's no point trying to find descendants of people who were held by, by these South Carolina families who aren't here anymore. Um, so they're still part of the story, but to reduce the number of people that we actually need to research, we need to filter those people out. So that's two more subscriptions to, Canada, to Canadian databases to access, to try to figure out which one of Thomas Middleton's bunch of people left. So that's lots of fun too. Um, and then trying to find the sales ledger for the weeping time. That's the last bit. The so ledger. again, we don't know if those ledgers exist. Um, if they're in private hands or any of those yeah. things. So again, written to the Savannah Historical Society, written to the South Carolina, um, sorry, the Georgia Historical Society and State Archives <laughs> to see if they've even heard of them, if they have them or where they are. 
So sorry, DZ, if you can throw up the second image, image number two. So this is, um, this is one of the advertisements that I found. Uh, this was in a paper, I think this is 1753. This is the South Carolina Gazette. Again, not to stress it too much, had to pay to be able to access this. So it says on Thursday the 10th, 1753, at Ashley Ferry, a healthy, likely cargo of about 360 Negroes, uh, just imported from the ship Pearl. Sorry, that's hidden just a bit. Um, they came directly from Angola. See, this is what, as painful as it is to look at this, this little advert is actually packed with loads of genealogical information. Um, great care has been taken and should be continue to be taken to keep them free from the smallpox because they had a previous ship where they lost 150 Africans to smallpox who got thrown overboard, which really upsets because I, I realize if anyone's never gonna have a name, all of those millions of Africans who got thrown overboard, we're never gonna know who they were. Right. Ever. Right. Just never. And easy, if you can do image number three. So this is kind of carrying the story on to, to the kind of next chapter. I, remember I said, you're an African in the bottom of a ship, you don't have a name, you don't have an identifier. Something like this, which is actually part of Colonel Thomas Middleton's um, Plantation Day book, actually gave lists of his enslaved people. The ones in, in the red are ones that I know of already. Um, three of them, I'm fairly confident, were first-generation Africans. Um, we need, I've already connected them to people who were actually sold during the weeping time. So, part of, so some of this work has already been done. But again, that was another, this was another web service that required, um, required a fee. And DZ, if we can do image number four. Oh, he's just zapped out, but I'll talk. I, we'll show it to you really quickly. Four. And then I just have one more after this. Okay, so this one, so this is me and uh, Martin slowly compiling all the information that we found on Ancestry.com, which is another fee um, to be able to share this publicly with descendants of these people and people who are um, who are researching this specific group of people. So, you know, you see things like, um, basically this is using the beyond kin methodology. I created a fake kind of spouse label called EP sold during the weeping time with information about that weeping time. And then there's just a huge list. It's, there's literally 440 people on that list. Um, and I always make notations so people can, can see and who's been researched and, and who hasn't. So that's taking it to the next level. So that kind of brings me to a close to the weeping time. So I think I've brattled off, that was about five or six different databases and, and resources that had to be paid for. And this last one, which I get to talk, chat about with um, Donia, is the Moses Williams Project. Oh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Oh, <laughs> No. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys know about Moses, but Moses Williams is the man that um, did 45, um, had 45 children with two different women, and he lived to be 115 years old. We were actually just talking about him. Um, and basically, the project with him is um, connected to our Sheila Hightower Allen DNA project, where we are actually trying, working with Howard University to build a DNA-based tree and find his 45 children in, in the meantime. 
Um, we have a group on Facebook that is, and I have a lot of people that's trying to join it. I need you to understand, we only add people who are confirmed to the Calling All Branches Facebook page. Those are confirmed family members. So we have about 1,500 in there right now that are all confirmed. And when I tell you guys that in one way or another, they are all connected to Moses Williams, <laughs> they are all connected to Moses Williams. And they are representatives of their larger families. Know that. So <laughs> we're sitting here, what you're looking at, when we started the, um, the Moses Williams project, we couldn't do it in the regular way that you do genealogy. You literally had to go back to the beginning. You had to take it back to what you see in front of you. So basically, Brian had to write it out. He was the one. We, we put Brian in the lead of it because we did, I didn't want to do it. So <laughs> Brian was placed in the lead of it. And in placing him in the lead, he literally did his paper version of the Beyond Ken project, the Beyond Ken, you know, process. And he wrote it down and he took down deeds and he, you know, said who was owning them at this time and who went to who at that time. So that's what this one of these sheets that you're seeing. And Daniel Williams ends up being Moses's father. Yes. And Moses, if you look at on the corner where it says 1795 Newbury, South Carolina D, Samuel Henderson to James Waldrop, that Moses, is that the 1791 Moses or is that 1789 Moses right there? Oh, uh, that's the junior. That's, that's junior. That's junior. That's my third great grandfather. He was born at that time. So when we were looking at these different things, we started to see our families in ways that we didn't know. And one thing led to another and we started going forward. And then my Sheila died. And I'm sorry, I call her my Sheila, even though she belongs to us all, but she's personally <laughs> mine. And um, my Sheila left me. And so we changed the name and Sheila was an educator and it just hit me. Okay, Danya. Let's let's find a school. And I tell you guys, within moment, within minutes of me sending my email out to Howard University, their uh, professor responded immediately on a Sunday. Like it was in minutes. So that's where we are as far as that is concerned. So on something like this, just to explain it a little bit, what we did is we actually tracked the enslavement of Africans within the Williams family, who we are biologically related to. Starting with the, gen you know, the, the first enslaver who was actually the, the first of the Williams family to arrive here. So that's with the generation three. Is that already we're at, this is showing that we're at generation three, three within right. the Williams family, um, which is da Danny Williams II. So we found all of these deeds. So I try to put as much information on this sheet as I could. So there's the year 1795 Newberry deeds. Um, all the people, all the Williams family members that were involved, and then all the enslaved people. So we have Jack. Um, the numbers in parentheses were their ages. The Williams actually gave them, you know, they gave the year of birth or they, they gave their age. So we knew we knew the age of the person that we were dealing with. Which was awesome. Which is rare and awesome. Yeah, because again, we know that Moses was 115 years old when he died. Like that is definite because of this paper. Moses the seventh was born. This paper gave us his age, and this was done. I think he was twenty-two on that's, this paper. That's how we worked out that there were two different Moses. And that's how we worked out that the, yeah, that's yeah. 
Yeah. No, we worked out the two different Moseses because you found his obituary first. Oh, that you could disprove it. Right. This disproved and this it. just just doubled down on it. But you found his obituary because I found the article about this Moses having 45 kids. Me thinking that it was my third great grandfather. And even then I was saying I wasn't gonna do it. But you know, we you know, we were going through it and then Brian turns around and finds the um the obituary he had an obituary guys this is how important this man was even even the enslavers knew the importance of him because he was around in seven he was born in 1769 we're talking american revolution life y'all this man saw every war you can think of because he died in 1884 so he saw every phenomenal war that was written in in history books he he lived through them all he saw pants being changed the pantaloons being changed the pantaloons he saw the changes in money he's i mean oh my god this man saw everything he saw everything and then that little number at the little these superscript numbers again sticking with jack in the upper left hand slide you'll see a little too that was my attempt to keep track of these people as I was going from sheet of paper to sheet of paper. And I think I gave up after about 25 sheets because I figured there was no way on earth that a team of about, I think it was eight or nine of us at that point, was there was no way that eight or nine people were gonna be able to follow this from page to page. So mm-hmm. bless you beyond kin to talk about the right solution to solve the right problem. It just hit my understanding it just came on my radar at just the perfect time. I'm like, okay, this is how I can, this is how I can get all these people on there. Um, so I'm going to say that at least with m- researching Moses, it didn't cost, didn't really cost, it, it didn't cost. cost anything. No. Because we were able to find stuff. And another reason why it didn't cost is because Edgefield, I'm giving you the props. You guys are great. Actually, most of this came from North Carolina. That was North Carolina deeds? That was, these were North Carolina deeds. Oh, wow. But then we ended up in Edgefield, and it just yeah. it carried over. And again, Edgefield is great. They, they, protected, <laughs> they protected that area. That's, that's that spirit. I, mm. You know, that's that spirit in them. And they protected that area. Their, their, their courthouse wasn't burned. Their city wasn't burned. Nope. They did not play those games. So now that we've given you some context with two working examples, um, I'm going to say personally, and, you know, this isn't bragging rights or anything. I've been researching my family for over 20 years, and I estimate that I've probably spent about $45,000 in 20 years doing research. So that's subscriptions, that's memberships, that's paying access to digitized, to to either digitize or access digitized materials. God only knows how many books. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, I just finished buying The Adventurers of Person Person, which is like if you have Virginia, if you have European colonial Virginia genealogy, that's like the Virginia Bible. They ain't cheap. The cheapest you can get that book secondhand is about three hundred and fifty bucks. No, I mean, and I mean, the cheapest books that we've purchased are running anywhere from forty to fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, keeping with the weeping time, um, a lot of the materials that I need to access, and there's boxes and boxes and boxes of them, they're held in the Philadelphia Historical Society. They're not in a position to digitize anything. Right. Um, Apparently, it's a very interesting kind of setup that they have. So again, I'm going to have to go to Philadelphia myself, travel, 
food, hotel, a lot. Um, plus, they charge thirty bucks a day, right? To even walk through to the, even walk through the door to walk through the door. So this all boils down to the bottom line. Do you feel that those who know that they are descendants of enslaved people should they pay? You know, is this another form of what Carolyn calls genealogical rep reparational genealogy? Is this another form of it? Do you think that it should be done? You know, I'm 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 at that point where I'm like, yeah, I think it is because genealogy can be very very expensive, mm -hmm. and you don't even think. And this even you know you got your hobbies and hobbies have their expenses and things of that nature, but this is more than than a hobby and I'm not saying that it's more than a hobby we all know it's more than a hobby for us we, we you know we want to we want to teach it we want you guys to do it we want people to be involved in it but I'm talking about even for those that's doing it just to find out information about your own little family if you're just trying to find just this little small part and you can't and you have to pay for it it becomes utterly expensive which I agree I just wish people would understand the differences in different kinds of genealogy. Because I have poor European ancestors all the way in the Appalachians, early settlers of, of Tennessee and Kentucky, and I know how hard it is to, to, to trace them. But they had names. They did leave footprints. Those footprints may be partial, they may be really hard to find, but their identities and their presence wasn't erased right. or hidden like enslaved Africans were. Right. I can't even put parity with my free people of color and enslaved Africans. Right. Free people of color also had their names, also left, again, partial to full footprints. Enslaved footprints, like I said, um, because the system of slavery was built to strip slaves of their identity. Right. Dizzy, we're finished with that, Alan. But, yeah, I mean... So what, you guys are like really responding, you jumped in. And Brandy, I, I so appreciate you because I saw what you said. And yeah, it is that. I think you know what I'm talking about because I can't <laughs> say it. So y'all just read through and um, look at what Brandy said. But Brandy covers me. That's my girl. Like, I love her. So <laughs> she covered what I had, what I was feeling. She was covering my feelings. And um. Give us your thoughts. Let us know, you know, if you think, how do you feel about it? And I want you to be honest, because that's one thing about Brian and I, we accept it all. If you feel like, well, no, I don't think they should be free. I mean, I think you should have to pay for it. Well, then tell us and tell us why you feel that way. And because that's what we're trying to do. This is an open dialogue. We do not argue with your opinion. That's mm -hmm. your opinion. We give you our side of it. But we don't argue with your opinion. No, nobody have time for that. So no. please do that. Plus, I mean, I've always had the feeling that we advocate for our ancestors who couldn't advocate for themselves, who yes. didn't have a voice, who weren't given a voice what? Yes. to advocate for themselves. Yes, yes. definitely, <clears throat> definitely. Um, I guess the flip side of the conversation as well is I wish, I wish that the major commercial family tree sites would engage they don't have, i mean would engage with african-american genealogical researchers for their platforms <laughs> i think it is a sin and a shame because our our ancestry no matter what ancestry you have reflects 
history as it was. Yes, right. Not as we want it to be, not like we pretend that it is, not that we wish it could have been. Our ancestry is history. And the fact that you don't have an option to add someone to your tree as an enslaver, mm. I think is wrong. Yeah, Marie, Marie said, I think it's like paying for something that's already yours. Mm. And that's true. Especially when you see people selling slave deeds and slave records on eBay, like that is that, yeah, that is that is a deep thing. I don't even look at eBay because of that because it scares me. Mm. That's something. If I ever had to say something, it made me angry. That was what made me angry because, like I said earlier in the show, you're literally re-auctioning these people off, and you may not even be thinking that you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm going to do that because that's who I am. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you see a deed that you, you know, and it has all these names on it and you know that it's a slave wreck and you're like, oh, I can get some money for this. That's your that's your first thought. That's what it is because you got to realize that it's that's the mindset of the day, making that cash, making that paper. So that's the mindset of the day. And with that being said, they're going to sit there and go, oh, I can sell this off. But you're not even looking at the fact that this is somebody's family. And that could be the only proof that, that someone has only... to, to, to prove a family relationship. Right. So there was something that popped up. You know how Facebook does the the um, reminders of that year or whatever the case yeah. is, what you've done for that day, what happened on that day. There was something that popped up on my um, on my Facebook page that we were everybody was watching it all the genealogists were watching it it was a the one of the shows that henry lewis gates did and in the show he stated that the head of a house in the 1870s was the person that was supposed to receive the 40 acres and a mule right that was my great great grandmother and it blew my mind to know that so because he made that comment and because he could prove that and I can prove that I am a, a, the descendant of Martha of Martha Brooks mm -hmm. guess who's supposed to have 40 acres and a mule? Y'all looking at her. I'm supposed to have 40 <laughs> acres and a mule because my great-great-grandmother was supposed to get it. And I know she's my great-great-grandmother. I have complete and total proof of it. Families who are connected. I found her children. I'm, I'm slowly finding her children we all supposed to have it now imagine moses's final years imagine in 1870 i can't work my mental math is it, it's horrible i can't think I, he would have been an old man but can you imagine in 1870 after everything he lived through he got his 40 acres and a mule but did he he did right that's the thing I mean, he again, he was 115, and they, it, he, that, he was 99 years old in 1870. I can get that math, because the man, he, he stays in my life. But he was 99, and he did not get his, the, you know, it's crazy. Stacey Ellis, Stacey Errol, she says, I think they should be free sometimes. Sometimes the research is expensive travel, free lodging, et cetera. We need access to our ancestors. They are ours. So, yeah, but I would, you know what? So far, I've heard from black people. I need some white people to come in on it. I'm just going to keep it real. Y'all know me. Y'all know me. I'm going to keep it real. I want some white people to chime in. I want to know how you feel about the possibility of 
something like this being free again only to those who know that they are they have they are descendants of enslaved ancestors only to them we're not talking about free people of color because we have one yeah. rebecca bug and we can trace her all the way back to virginia without any issue actually we have she we have martha bottom as well and then you got martha bottoms <laughs> all the way back to where they came we we yeah. know we know that their mom who their mother is because mm -hmm. to be a free person of color your your mother has to be a white woman right right so we know that and again the other difference between say a poor european white family and an enslaved african family is who holds your records right so even if you're poor you still have to pay tax so you pay your tax to you know your local county representative um there's that kind of a footprint the only way we can enslave sorry the only way that we can research and trace enslaved people is through the people who held them so we have you know, there is no thankfully you know people have donated things to archives and repositories and records have have come to light but let's be honest i mean that's probably only a fraction of all the all the slavery related records right that were ever kind of done written or stored or, or whatever so we're always in a position of if it's in private hands, having to kind of ask and beg. But again, me even writing to a state archive or a specialist repository, I always explain how I'm related to the, either the person or the people that I'm researching. Exactly. And, it, and I just get these kind of real cognitive dissonant kind of responses back. Like, oh, you know, it's going to, this is 250. You're, you know, you're just casually telling me something is 250 bucks for me to access stuff that, that is not, to me. that is not in the public domain, that right. can never be in the public domain right. because it wasn't a state or county gathered right. record. Um, Connie Rouse on our African American Genealogy Forum page, she says, I've paid for ancestry since 2009 and I found a lot. I found lost relatives from all over the country. I found my slaveholders from Mississippi and South Carolina. I don't think we should have to pay for these documents. I'm still researching a lot. I found my slaveholders that went back to 1600. Then she brought up something that I didn't even think about. Paying for ancestry. I never even thought about that. Should I be paying for ancestry? I mean, at some point, you have to figure out where the line is going to be crossed. Because... Had I not paid for ancestry, I wouldn't have found out that I was Martha's child, that I was her descendant. So I had to, you know, I had to pay for that. But then once I find out, do I get grandfathered in? Or like, where do you draw the line of what you pay and what you don't pay? Or, you know. Something for them to work, work right, through. Because right. again, being the devil's advocate, I get why there's a fee. There's a, you know, whatever, whether it's a, service like ancestry whether it's a repository or a specialist collection they had to license those materials sometimes they had to buy those materials so i mean they you know, they have to keep them they have to store them they have to make sure that they're preserved so there i i appreciate that there's an expense however you know maybe it's a matter of you know if you can prove your your relationship to the the group of group of people that they hold records for instead of maybe charging a full whack charge half or less yeah i mean something has to I, I i agree i think something definitely needs to be done um but again that goes back everything that we're talking about goes right back into something that they don't want to do in any way which is give mm -hmm. any 
type of reparations to African Americans. They just don't want to do it. This is another form of reparations, whether we want to look at it like that yeah. or not. That's what this is. I'm not asking for a handout. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my due diligence. I'm doing the same thing as any other person. And let me just be clear. This is not just about African-Americans because you have Native Americans who you can't find stuff. Because I know that I have a Native American um, ancestor. But I can't get into my Native American ancestor because I don't know enough history about him. And I can't find enough history about him because they don't want to share it with me. They meaning the Native Americans that I know that I connect to. So with that being said, I'm in a catch-22 with that particular position, and I can't go further with it. It, it. it literally stops you. You have so many people like, like Chief, who was on our first show. He'll tell you Black people were, were Native Americans. That's what he says. But they're not listed as that because they were dark. They're not listed as natives. So when you go and you get your DNA, you're simply African. That's it. But then you got all these other little DNA parts that's coming in, like the Asian and the Indian. And, the, you know, mm-hmm. what is that? You mean to tell me that 30% of me is all across the other side of the pond? Come on now. That can't, I mean, who are these people? And how it, how is that possible? I'm really confused about mine. So, yeah, Karen responded. Karen said, Ancestry and other online groups are helpful, but it is it, it is irritating that there is a fee on documents that taxpayers paid to have organized. So just that situation where we pay again is a bit irritating. But I get why. As for slaveholding records being treated differently, they are also historical records, which to me is good enough reason to make them free. Thank you, Karen, for responding and, and, and making your, your, your stake on it and explaining why you feel the way that you feel. And you feel like we do. Um, but again, there's so much. It's not just Africans that have to have that problem, that actually has that problem. There are others. So should it be free to them as well? And I say yes. If they're having that kind of issue, yes. If you're not having that kind of issue, Point blank. It's really that simple. But of course, it's a reparation. It's a payback. And if you do a reparation, if you acknowledge a payback, that means you admit something happened. And that's something that they don't do. But that's why I spent, what, five minutes at the top of the show with the the kind of housekeeping thing, because there will be people, if, Mm -hmm. if, say, historically discriminated against people get are perceived to be getting freebies. Mm. Oh, well, why do they get freebies? Right. Why, why can I have a freebie? They don't take the time to understand kind of the reasoning or the, the possible rationale behind why, why, you know, why we're talking about why descendants of, of slaves should, shouldn't have to pay full whack or pay for records. Right, right. They just, they just won't get it. No, I don't... Brandy, you ain't saying what I need you to say. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I don't think that they don't get it. I think they don't want to get it. It's, it's blinders. It's those blinders. You know those blinders that horses wear? Mm-hmm. So you just can't see and it keeps you focused on whatever's in front of you. 
this kind of history is hurtful. It's painful. It's it's strong. A lot of people don't want to see it. Yeah. So and they want to stay right there. They want to oh, keep it. You you raise a good point with that that comment. The top of the show, just because I was speaking very calmly about slave auctions, slave ships, 350 Africans being on the bottom of the ship, don't think for an instance I don't feel a kind of way about that. That's right. Because I do. But, you know, doing this kind of research, you have to put your big boy and your big girl pants on All and just long. get your head down and you do the work. You got to work when you on finish it. the work, then you can get into your feelings and feel how you want to feel. But at this stage, the work is too important. You get you. I mean, some days you get numb. You know, mm -hmm. like that day, <laughs> and this happens to be a memory that pops up every year on on my Facebook page. It's the memory of the little uh, black babies. It's a flyer, and they are trying to get their alligator shoes and their alligator belts. So what they did was they would sit little black babies out mm. there. And um, the black babies were the bait, and they would go, and and that's how they get to kill their alligators. In the meantime, my my cousins and my ancestors and my family is being killed. Cause I have to look at it like that. Cause y'all need to understand, my great great grandmother had more than nine children. I don't know how many she had because she was a breeder. So that actually could have been a picture of one of her children, one of my aunt, my great great aunts and uncles sitting in that daggone marsh while this alligator is lurking behind it and then somebody else is behind the alligator because they want some damn i mean because they want some um boots say it brandy because they want some boots or a belt or something but yeah that was something i i literally had to cut my computer off that day i had to cut it mm -hmm. off because that was way too much for me. That was over the top. And and you you gotta, there has to be a point or a time where you have to breathe and just step away. The uh, the book, House of Bondage. Oh, yes. The story of the man that was, you know, strapped down and they beat him so badly that his eyeball popped out. I'm gonna say that again. His eyeball popped out. The man passed out. They threw salt water on him and his eyeball popped out. I closed the book. I was done. So there, there just is moments that we deal with in doing this type of research that you have to just stop and say, okay, I'm done for the day. And, and, and just let it go. Just like those 31 or 32 shipments of enslaved Africans that from um, Middleton and Brailsford, we know we have at least one, at least one mm -hmm. ancestor that was in the bottom of one of those ships. Yes. It's, it's, no, it's no doubt in it. There's absolutely no doubt in it because we come from a very large group of people and we know that we have several enslaved family members, and we also know that we, not only do we have several enslaved family members, we have several enslaved family members who were breeders. Mm -hmm. We have a lot, y'all. You know, and I'm talking about just with me and Brian. I'm quite sure that there are several hundreds of African Americans out there that, that, do, that have that as well. 
So we need to, you know. Well, especially you think about children who were sold at a really young age, and we're talking like under one or right. under two years old. Right. They're taken from their family. They have no idea who they are. They and have no idea. Their enslaver is not going to tell them who they are or where they came from. That's right. So the only so if you're trying to research that kind of an ancestor, the only way you can figure it out is if that deed still exists. If the deed still and if exists, it's still available. If it's still available, and then you add DNA on the process on the top yeah. of it, because that's what we ended up doing. That's how we know for a fact that we are actual descendants of. Is his name? John the Wealthy Welshman? Yes. John yes. the Wealthy Welshman Williams. That's who our, what, seventh great grandfather is. Mm -hmm. We know it for a fact because we we are descendants of them. So if anybody from Ancestry.com is listening in, you guys need to contact us. Seriously. I'm just being, I'm just putting it out there. Do you know how many times I've tweeted them? <laughs> I, no, I said, listen, if, even if you don't want to have genealogy adventures as a consultant, you've got Robin, you've got Robin Foster. You've got people like Shelley, Shelley Murphy, Bernice Bennett, um, Andre Kern, Andre Kearns, Shannon, Melvin Collier, Shannon Christmas. Shannon there Christmas. are so many up and coming or established black genealogists. LaBrenda Garrett. LaBrenda, I mean, it's it's so, so many. many. They are out there and they are working and they're doing it. And you guys are like just really ignoring them. Like the, this is a, a type. This is. It's crazy. So I'm, I think I'm getting in my feelings a little bit. I can tell. <laughs> I think I am. Okay, I'm going to shut up. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm being very calm, but I'm, you know, I, I'm very passionate about this because, you know, without wanting to keep repeating myself, we advocate for those who, can't, who can't, literally can't advocate for themselves. That's right. Um, and I think we have about 90 seconds left. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, so in our last 90 seconds, please, again, um, if you have a comment or a question or an opinion, feel free to post it. Yes, and if we don't get, if we can't get to it here, we will definitely come back. You know, guys, we always like coming back and talking to you guys. Um, oh, Kelly Mayat, I hope I pronounced your name right, well, Mayat. A lot of what's on Ancestry is available for free on FamilySearch. You just have to know how to search the unindexed records because they're a little tricky to find. That's true, but the thing about family search is that if you want to actually see the original document, you have to be on Ancestry. That's the thing about that. You can't see the original document through, at least I haven't seen it. In a, oh, some of them you can. Some of them you can. Right, some, but the, the majority of them are on Ancestry. But I think one difference, I haven't looked for it, for a long time on Family Search, the Edgefield Slave Deed book. That's on Ancestry. Is it? Yeah. Oh no, I know it's on Ancestry. But it's not on I, Family Search. But I don't think it's on Family Search. Right. Right. And and that's the thing. You have all these things that are going on with, you know, yeah, Family Search is free and that's a great thing. But the problem with it is the transcription. You mm. have to be able to see the original. Like for example, oh, can I just Get in real quick before we go. Um, one thing that we have found on Family Search that was awesome were the <gasps> Freedman Bank records the and labor the contracts. contracts. The labor contracts. So yeah, those things are those are great, and um, those you can see that you can definitely see. But again, as far as the census records, y'all y'all don't really trust the census people. Do <laughs> 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 I mean, I mean they they wrote what they wanted during that time, like. 
I'm gonna tell y'all right now, my great grandmother, my great grandmother Lula, she married a senior. She was a Peterson, and they put her and two of her daughters. All of their names were Lula. That is incorrect. <laughs> it's just incorrect. My grandmother's name was Annie. That's it. And but yeah, she's listed as Lula, and so was her sister listed as Lula, and so was her mother listed as Lula. So these things were, you know, the the, the transcription was messed up. So you have to at some point be able to see the original document, which means you have to pay. Mm -hmm. But again, Callie made a really good, really good second point, and I'm going to agree with you, Callie, yes. um, about the the digitized bit. I tend to go through the indexed records in on Family Search, the roles, and again, you can't search within those roles, you literally have to go image by image by image, like you're looking at a film strip. I save those for like really horrible, wet, rainy, horrible days, or mm -hmm. it's like blizzardy outside. Right, right, right. Then I'll sit down with the family search and I will literally go through them one after the other. Right. So that's a, a really good point. But we are out of time. Um, thank you guys for listening. And again, continue to post. Put your, you know, this is the discussion. Genealogy Adventures is always an open discussion with no arguments, no judgment. Um, please make sure you put your, your, your stuff up here and we will definitely let you not, guys know next, what next week's show is tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> we'll let you know tomorrow. And um, continue to tune in. And thank you so much for following us and joining along. Enjoy your Sunday and thank you for spending your time with us. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye. That was kind of overdue.